Hello and welcome to another edition of Humanitarian AI Today, a podcast series produced by the Humanitarian AI Meetup.com groups in Cambridge, San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Montreal, Toronto, London, Paris, Berlin, Oslo, Geneva, Zurich, Bangalore, Tel Aviv, and Tokyo. So I'm Brent Phillips, I'm your guest host today, and I happen to be the organizer behind the Humanitarian AI Meetup community and I helped to produce the podcast series. I'm in Berlin this week speaking with humanitarian organizations and startups, and I thought I'd use the opportunity to record a couple of podcast interviews. So today I'm with uh, Daniel Erickson with Transparency International. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you, Brent. Happy to be here. Looking forward to our discussion. Great. Thank you. You know, I've been speaking with... Um, humanitarian organizations, and especially startups, about transparency. And when we think about transparency, we think about information sharing and information visibility and the ability of, for example, uh, artificial intelligent applications to process information and to access information and answer queries about it. But Transparency International is very interested in transparency from a whole other vantage point, and that's accountability. So maybe you could introduce yourself and tell us about Transparency International and what transparency means to you from your vantage point. So Transparency International fights corruption. That is our core purpose. And uh, we do so in a range of different areas and with a movement, a movement of 100 organizations, independent organizations in 100 countries. Um, our approach is not necessarily directed towards the humanitarian context. We've had programs in the past in that area. These days, though, we focus more on grand corruption. Grand corruption is high-level political corruption, corruptions as threats to democracy. And we try to look at root causes of problems rather than the, the symptoms that uh, come up. So that means that we're trying to look at ways of ensuring that uh, if we take the COVID as an example, the financial stimulus packages that were set up internationally, that anti-corruption measures were included in loans from the IMF or, or the World Bank so that the risk of corruption was reduced. Working on prevention as a primary tool, but also uh, exploring investigations and topics like the um, Pandora Papers of recent. Um, yeah, I could go into depth mm. in this, the seven strategic areas that we have. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on yeah. um, SDG 16. Yeah. So I come from the humanitarian field. I worked at the UN. I've done a lot of humanitarian work, and we think about international development and government actors funding international development projects. And SDG 16, the Sustainable Development Goal 16, mm -hmm. is quite relevant to your work. And would you like to explain to our members what that is? And you know, relative to governments from information sharing and information sharing in general and institutional reporting? Well, it has to do with transparency as a topic of building trust towards government and thereby the trust building exercise closely related to democracy building and reinforcing democratic institutions. And in these areas, I think you have a couple of initiatives, reporting initiatives and other initiatives, and it's like IATI and, and other standards. Yeah, we, we are not directly involved with those standards. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm uh, aware of them from my own research before I joined Transparency, when I worked quite a lot of these topics, mm -hmm. as we discussed earlier on. 
And uh, in Transparency International, we have had uh, one of our global programs in our previous strategy was directed towards combating corruption in humanitarian aid mm -hmm. and sustainable development in general. Fortunately, that program is now closed for uh, funding reasons, but we do see that area as a very relevant topic from a perspective of building trust and democratic institutions in countries in the global south. If aid and sustainable development is not given in a way that gives a, a role model to those, those countries on how institutional funding, donors, be that domestic or external, are dealt with in a responsible fashion with high integrity, then if, if one doesn't have that built into those funding mechanisms, there are signals sent that corruption is okay. And that sets off nation building on the wrong foot from the very beginning. That's very important. Yeah, there's a lot of initiatives, you know, funding uh, developing countries. And to think about IADI is um, the International Aid Transparency Initiative, and they have their open data sharing framework, and they have hundreds of fields organizations can use to report in granular detail what they're doing. And if you think about the different fields and how you report things, it's true, you can add quite a bit of information in there and follow the trail from the, the donor, the initiator, through the a partner in the field to the local level partner and follow these paths. So obviously this is an important thing. And is this, do you feel this is a trend? Guess where technology is headed? You can see the, what the IATI is doing in the context of, of nation building as setting a seed for open data. If you are a nation, nation and, and you're receiving aid, humanitarian aid and sustainable development aid, and uh, you are ensuring that those operating in your country share the data openly like that. You're setting the scenes for data sharing once the nation matures in terms of uh, could be land ownership or taxation or other element, conflict of interest of politicians, political integrity thereby, which is another area where, where we're working quite heavily, that those more complex yet critical issues in terms of, of building a democracy also are taken care of through the, through transparency. Mm -hmm. So starting with those relatively simple measures during the course of a humanitarian intervention, ensuring that one builds a culture of open data. Right, that's very important. That's quite interesting. And you, I, I think a lot of what you're doing is to create uh, pathways that you could, you know, to monitor corruption reporting frameworks, I think, and mechanisms to report corruption where, where it lies. So I think it's very important to have these sort of independent mechanisms to follow what governments are doing in a, you know, a aid funding level. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Just to, uh, to mention that by having open data, by having transparency, you're making corruption harder to get away with to begin with. Mm -hmm. And the harder you make corruption as an activity, the less likely it is that it's going to take place. The more expensive it will be as well for the corrupt to clean their money. And that is one way of working at reducing corruption to begin with. Although, of course, our, our main avenue is, is trying to work with youth and future leadership to ensure that corruption is not an acceptable, acceptable behavior, which unfortunately, in many parts of the world, it is. 
and that's not pointing at Global South at all. Global North are equally struggling with, with that problematic. But having that transparency and open data sharing culture increases the difficulty of getting away with being corrupt. Yeah, I think that's very important. Coincidentally, our last podcast interview was on um, artificial intelligence and illegal, unreported, and unregulated phishing. Okay. And there's an initiative that's encouraging volunteers to work on developing algorithms to help monitor illegal phishing. And I was pleased to see that your group is quite interested in the illegal, unreported, and regulated phishing from a corruption standpoint. And so do you see the, um, the ability, for example, with researchers developing the capacity to monitor phishing better from a, a global level using satellite imagery and advanced algorithms? I, I think this is uh, something that helps you in your work. Most definitely. I find the topic of fisheries very interesting. On a personal level, uh, maybe even more so than uh, on an organizational level, but still, though, it is a bit of a canary in, in the coal mine to show when systems are not working. It also, by the way, also shows clearly that the narrative that some have that corruption is a trouble of the global south is wrong. Look at fisheries and how companies in the global north, including countries like Iceland, use corruption as a way of getting fishing licenses in countries in the global south and getting away with extremely low payments through the way of bribes to public officials and thereby buying the natural resources in an unsustainable way from those countries and getting away with it. And if that happens, you can imagine what happens in other even more profitable industries such as natural resource extraction. So the topic of fisheries, it is important and it's one where one can highlight the issues of corruption and highlight the roles that the global north has to play in being a role model and a good example. It should not be acceptable for a country in, in the developed global north to say that well, you know, this is a problem of the South. If we can bribe, if one of our industries can bribe officials in, in the global South for us to get access to the resources, so be it. It's their problem. No. If we want a democratic and free and fair world, the global North needs to take its responsibility. Yeah, it's true. It's, um, it's quite important. And you think about larger fishing fleets and the uh, devastating impact they have on fisheries. So it's, uh, so it's important to develop the capacity to monitor these things, you know, through technology. Thinking about that and back to open data sharing frameworks and artificial intelligence. So we're, a lot of our members are interested in giving, for example, your digital assistant on your phone, like Siri or Alexa, the capacity to answer queries about humanitarian operations and development initiatives and funding streams. Maybe looking ahead five years, Maybe one day we'll have an algorithm that's our, our partner sitting here at the conference table. You have your algorithm able to process all the information in the world on development initiatives and development funding. And what, what do you think of the pros and cons of having a, an algorithm here in terms of, you know, obviously there's a, a benefit in terms of informational capacity to, to understand and see things, but I think there's a, maybe a cons in terms of biases and you know, is this where the future is headed, where we, we have these chatbots part of Transparency International and helping you and hindering you at the same time? 
as, as you hinted to algorithms and AI has strengths and weaknesses. And, and uh, I think it's extremely important that we harvest the benefits of AI. Take the Pandora Papers leak that happened a couple of weeks ago, over three terabytes of data. How much time would it take for a human being to sift through all of that manually and, and analyze the relationship between the independent pieces of data and between that data set and external open databases in order to come to conclusions of where to look? It would be a, a perpetual task. And we don't have that time because if we want to enforce and put those who are implicated in that leak in, in front of courts, we have to do so in an expedient fashion and use AI. At the same time, we're, by not being transparent in how those AI algorithms are taught and how, how they're continuously improved, we can have all sorts of bias or unclarity. And with them being algorithms and not humans, one puts question marks on the accountability. You know, in the case of Pandora Papers, if we would have an algorithm that would search the papers and say, like, here, we have somebody who has laundered uh, money or evaded taxes, who is responsible for the claim of that algorithm? That's, That's a, very, a great point. It's a very simplistic, simplistic way of putting it, but we, we need to live with that. The algorithms and AI is out of the box. We cannot put it back in again. And algorithms and AI can be used for good, or for evil, like anything in, in this world. We need to make sure that we are role models in the humanitarian industry and shows how this is done in an ethical way. Yeah, it's true. I had a discussion yesterday with the founder of a tech company, very interested in data annotation, and uh, we were talking about open data sharing and humanitarian activities and development activities. and. He's you know, new to the field, and immediately he pointed out that it's easy to kind of game the system. Once you improve reporting and reporting frameworks, I mean, there's already competition for funding between humanitarian organizations and development organizations and initiatives and this sort of a, a maze of funding pathways. And there's an initiative to encourage groups to report better. And then at some point in the future, we'll be using that information to help dictate who's receiving aid funding and naturally there'll be an incentive to not necessarily report inaccurately, but to use reporting to game the system, so to speak. And uh, do you see this as a problem? For example, with the SDD, SDGs, excuse me, there's a lot of interest in funding initiatives that, you know, on paper look great for helping with the SDGs. And for example, a lot of groups might be might like to claim that they're working on aspects of this that maybe are very, how do you say, uh, flimsy. But how, how do you feel about the future of reporting and how this could actually go wrong with organizations being incentivized to, to cheat? Of course, if you figure out what the algorithm is, I think that organization in your specific example uh, could be tempted to cheat. And, and uh, there's plenty of situations where AI is, is not suited. I, I think that AI should be used where its strengths come to the fore in large data sets of structured data. The more subjective analysis that we need from humans and experts, the less potent AI is. The more emotional and gut feeling elements that you have to put into it, 
the more the AI algorithm will base its analysis on historical activities, which might contain bias, which might set up a repetitive pattern, which can be gained by, by those benefiting from the outcome of, of the algorithm. So let's focus on the usage of these kinds of tools where they mean the most, where we have large data sets that humans will not be able to, to analyze in a normal way. That's a great point. It's interesting, we were talking the other day about, um, again, annotating data to improve the ability to answer queries. But it's true, uh, the average query is very uh, generalized and, uh, you know, thinking about how do you weigh, how do you decide what information to deliver somebody who asks the question, you need to think about weights and what information weighs more heavily on others. And it's true, you could have a small piece of information that could outweigh something else and kind of skew the response. And I, I like your point about prioritizing analytical capacity around large data sets. And I think that's, that's a great point that you just brought up. And then for us, I mean, I, I do think that there's a lot more work to be done on these leaks, if it's Panama Papers or, or, or Lux Leaks or now the, the Pandora Papers, to use these treasure troves of structured data as targets for data mining in the definition of discovering correlations between the various pieces of data to try to figure out how we best unearth money laundering or tax evasion or, or other illicit use of funds. We haven't done nearly close what should be done in, in that context. And, and I think that is a good use case for it. Other use cases like in industry where AI, and I, I use quotation mark here now because I would question whether it's AI or not, is used, for instance, in recruitment practices, I'm, I'm highly skeptical towards because there you will be repeating bias from past learning data which will be giving benefit to male, white males from certain universities or whatever it is that have been hired in the past and, and uh, we're, we're not there yet that we can use AI for those kinds of, of roles. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely a, a future, you know, we're, we're looking ahead and that's part of the, the role of this podcast to start create a dialogue around these subjects and look ahead and think about that. You know, I really appreciate you taking time to speak with us. And I know your, your days, you don't have much time, but out of curiosity, what are you working on now? What's your priority uh, these days? What's, what's your day like this week? What are you working on? So now, uh, one of our goals, because over the last two years since the pandemic, and the pandemic happened, but also in parallel with that, we have a strong tendency in the world where democracy is under attack. And we, we have recognized that transparency and democracy goes hand in hand in reducing the prevalence of corruption in society. And there's, there's a relationship between all of those three. And, and when democracy is under threat, civic space, i.e. the space that we as civic society organizations have in order to advocate for our respective purposes, is also under attack. When the pandemic came, Countries who um, had leadership that was not particularly democratic, in them we saw that that civic space got under attack, democracy got under attack, and transparency was under attack. Leadership used the pandemic as an excuse to get away 
from the limelight in terms of being open with their procurement practices. They say that it's more important that to be quick than to be open. Our research shows that it's possible to do both if one takes it carefully. Uh, in general, we, we're seeing that there's a trend globally that the new technology and, and the shakeup of the world that the pandemic has brought about has made everything possible in terms of policy changes and regulation in relation to corruption, suggested changes that would have been not at all considered two years ago are now on the table. And this kind of fluidity is great for us, of course, but we're also seeing that there's a fork in the road where the world, individual nations, but the world in reality, has a choice to go either towards a much more transparent world where data is shared openly, where it's much more difficult to be corrupt, where democracy as a concept naturally is reinforced, or on the other side of the, uh, the extreme, where this fluidity is used to limit transparency, to attack democracy, and to strengthen the positions of those who are already in power. Unfortunately, I must say that what we are seeing is that the trend goes more towards the latter at the moment. It's a shame to see that. And uh, it, it's important for, for NGOs and civic society to do everything they can, globally, regionally and nationally, to push towards this more open world, open nations, defending democracy, defending that civic space. And that is something that we are putting a lot of effort into, because if we cannot defend that civic space and that openness, we cannot advocate for a world free of corruption, which is our ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And so, so that has been uh, and continues to be a big part of our work. Then we're also seeing the increased responsibility of business as a strong trend as well. Multinational corporations and big business, but really only sm also small and medium enterprises that operate outside a nation's borders, all have a responsibility to think about how, how they operate in an ethical way with high integrity. It is, it is not okay to just look at the bottom line and the profit and ensuring that you're sticking to the law. Integrity and ethics goes beyond that. And if business worldwide stepped up and did their part of this, that would be tremendously helpful for our cause as well. And, and, and we do see actually that business is open and understanding to this. And we've been receiving an increasing amount of support in our activities in that area. So do you think um, indicators, I think like social good indicators for companies, you know, more reporting uh, fields, you know, is this something that's very important for companies and thinking about how do they report what they're doing on a you know, co corporate social responsibility side? Do we need more granular fields on to kind of encourage them to articulate what they're doing or to visualize areas where they can do better? What would you recommend around social good and companies and yeah, in terms of CSR, I kind of asked also also because like a lot of German companies are well known for being more maybe more thoughtful about social good initiatives and mm. that's something I've observed here in Berlin and. Uh, it's really great, and I'm, you know, I'm glad that, uh, that your organizations and companies are playing a leading role in this. And 
Any thoughts on that? I think the issue is quite complex. And, and uh, to go to the extreme, you have this quarterism um, amongst a lot of the corporations that all you think about, especially those obviously who are listed on stock markets, is how our next quarter will look like. And in that context, there's very little space for CSR that has any kind of true effect. And by and large, that is the situation in a lot of parts of the world. Adding granularity in how CSR is reporting, I would doubt how that would actually have an effect. But at the same time, um, something has to be done in order to ensure that corporations take their responsibility. Because if you take a bigger picture view, a lot of corporations would not be able to operate at all, never mind have a profit, if they didn't start to take responsibility of their environmental impact and their climate impact. And we see an increasing number of corporations taking that responsibility. The same goes for corruption. If a com company that operates globally bribes public officials in the global south in order to sell their products, they're destroying that market, they're destroying that democracy, and they're having a very short-sighted view of ensuring a profit of that specific deal rather than a fruitful financial relationship with clients in that country over, over a long period of time. So uh, I don't see any short fixes in, in terms of ensuring that corporations take that responsibility that they need to do, but there is a mentality change that is needed in order to ensure long-term profitability of corporations. Yeah, I think in um, reading more about your organization, I, I noticed something about a, a collaborative partnership, an agreement. I think you're trying to forge an agreement between companies to act more ethically. That's all, this is all really great. Normally, we ask for a takeaway for our community, but you've given us some really great takeaways already, you know, thinking about ethics and reporting and um, what com companies can do better. Is there anything else you might like to close on? Or uh, one thing we'd love to ask our guests is to imagine a, you know, Alexa on the table or a, a Google Assistant, and uh, is there anything that you might like to ask it, you know, a futuristic application that might be able to access all the world's information on development initiatives? Is there anything relevant today that you, you could use something like that to do? Like, you, you talked about procurement streams and things like that. Would you, what would you ask it? Well, if I would fast forward 10 years into time, I would be a little bit more daring in what I would ask rather than looking at, at the present. And, and uh, I would ask questions like, what are the conflicts of interest for the decision makers in this process? Be that a procurement process or uh, a selection process for which project to fund by a donor or a, a public policy decision in a country in Africa. What are the conflicts of interest of those individuals? What kind of assets do they have? What is, follow the money. I would ask Siri to, can you please follow me, follow the money for me and uh, get clarity that all the decisions that are taken in any of those examples that I mentioned are taken with the best interest of the public in mind. And of course, if you fast forward another 10 years, I would ask Siri, has this decision been taken with the best interest of the public in mind? And hopefully receiving a yes and no on that. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. So um, to our members, 
I think uh, Daniel here has um, issued a challenge to all of you to figure this out. And I, uh, you know, I think this is where technology is headed. I hope to see it headed in this direction, and we all are. So, so thank you again, Daniel, for letting us interview you and learning more about Transparency International. This brings this edition of Humanitarian AI Today to a close.